Welcome to Cancre, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. And uh, what a what a week ahead of us. We are finally getting to part two of the amazing interview we did with the great team over at Les Be Gay podcast. Um, I adore the two of them. I am so glad that they were able to join us for the conversation. And also we touch on how It's a Sin had an intimacy coordinator, much like how you may have a fight coordinator. But we don't have too much time to delve into that because we have another interview lined up with uh, a guest that I had earlier this week to talk about his Unmentionable podcast. Oh, oh my. The, the show, the podcast is called Unmentionable. Uh, I speak with Jordan Power about his show, Unmentionable. And really what he does is he spotlights guests who would otherwise not have much airtime. So really interesting. I think I he's trying to get a homeless man on his show. Uh, he mentioned a few of the other guests. We go into some detail about that a little later. Now, before we do, some really interesting news out of Prince Edward Island. More options available on birth certificates. So okay. birth certificate is really the first and foremost gender identity uh, you know, absolutely. And and typically you're stuck between male, female, and, and never the two shall meet. Uh, well, a, you know, Canadian passports have introduced an X option and other provinces have also introduced other options. Prince Edward County announced this week that they are introducing an X option or you can just leave it blank. There's moderately, uh, actually not really similar news, but there is news also out of Japan. That uh, I don't know if you saw this, where the court of Japan gave a presentation to the diet, the, the diet being like the di not diet is in like eating better, but like diet is in like a two house system. Uh, the Japanese diet was given a presentation by the court of Japan saying that it is unconstitutional to prevent same sex marriage. They were saying, if you're going to stop this, you need to come up with a better reason than just you can't that's not constitutional if you can think up of a decent reason and we do not think you will be able to then maybe we'll talk about it again but in the meantime yeah you got to allow it so that's news out of japan how huge that is huge how that comes out because now they're going to have to rewrite something so how that gets rewritten what the new laws look like that's a completely different issue but saying you can't ban it that is that's the the recent news so that's that's a big deal well keep an eye on that uh, mm -hmm. There was interesting news out of the British Columbia College of Nurses and Midwives this okay. week. This one uh, raised a few eyebrows. There was a nurse practitioner who was based at the Three Bridges Community Health Center and the Health Initiative for Men Clinic. Uh, okay. This particular nurse practitioner got brought before the panel for re-traumatizing people asking completely unnecessary questions. You mm -hmm. go in for a checkup and then you find yourself talking about fisting, actual thing that happened. He would ask about uh, coming out stories, people's sexual preferences, either give bad advice, incorrect advice, advice he isn't trained to give, mm -hmm. um, and then would just frankly not refer them to the advice they did need. Now, um, if he was right approximately 60% of the time, he would be interchangeable with Reddit. <laughs> well, we don't recommend, you know, if you're going into a health clinic, 
You don't. You want them to be more accurate than Reddit. Yeah, you want them to be more accurate than Reddit, and you also don't want it to be them to be fishing around and asking you to retell all your traumatic experiences. Fishing around, like no, I meant like for stories, oh, for narratives. Okay. There, there okay. was no actual fishing. Okay. So the part the panel has not yet ruled on what the penalty will be for uh, this particular just egregious, you know, mishap. Uh, but we an infraction. Definitely an infraction. Yeah. Speaking of something that was not an infraction, okay, and that was the hate preachers in Vancouver. <gasps> According to the Vancouver Police Department, Dor Love and David Lynn, who have both been widely critiqued as incredible hate preachers, including by ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, the Vancouver Police Department's Hate Crime Unit, Major Crime Section, and their operations legal advisor concluded this week that none of the alleged actions by the street preachers constituted a violation of criminal code laws concerning hate speech and promoting hate. Mm. Now, this has people up in arms, but me and you both know mm. that the hate speech laws are very, very high bar to pass. Very you have to be specific. almost instigating a genocide before yeah, yeah, the hate yeah. laws apply. Does what they say was completely hateful. Absolutely. We will circle back to this next week because there is a talk about the permits. We don't have time to get into it right <laughs> now. We're going to jump to our first song. This is Something About by Xenon. We shall be back just after this. There's something about waking up in someone else's room. There's something about my head that feels heavy too There's something about me looking out the window as the cars go I woke up beside him realized it wasn't you sat up and took a breath I never felt so cruel there's something about the curtains I'll capture in my mind Forever and forever until the end of time There's something about waking up in someone else's room There's something about the sheets that feel heavy too There's something about me looking at felt this way before and the tiles on my feet I will capture in my mind as the moment I admit defeat for you and I oh there's something about waking up in someone else's room there's something about my feet that feel heavy too about me brushing my hair in someone else's mirror oh, 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 oh. maybe if I pretend it's alright 
even about waking up in his room I know I'll miss it every time I look at Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. I am Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And we are enjoy, uh, enjoy well, I mean, definitely enjoying, but we are joined by the incredible talents behind the Lesbian Gay podcast, uh, who are sharing their insights with us, acting and queer roles. The UK saw its first production with an intimacy co- uh, coordinator. There's a great article in the Gay Times that covers a lot of um, why that was so groundbreaking. Um, I did want to mention that something which the the article brings up, which I think is relevant to the conversation as we move forward, but they noticed that all of the the queer actors in the the cast were gay men and the director was gay and a whole bunch of the the crew were gay. So when you're talking about, you know, anal sex, which is the, the gay way, um, you know, this is the way, you know, it kind of came up, Everyone's on the same page. Everybody knows what's happening. You don't have a straight director who's guessing or a straight (laughs) scriptwriter who is guessing. So yeah, it created a space that was very queer. Um, Mm. But you have a bit of experience uh, um, with with intimacy coordination. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And so um, as well in film, but also in theater, this is a huge conversation that's happening and more and more theaters are involving intimacy coordinators. And I was actually part of a play where I was the intimacy captain, which is essentially the same as a fight captain. So there's the person choreographing the intimacy. And then before each performance, I would oversee a run through of the all of the intimate moments to make sure that they were safe so that you know over the course of the run of the show you know something didn't change or anything like that mm-hmm. so um it's definitely a thing that's happening and being talked about a lot more um yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah. we had a whole unit on it um in school about yeah we did a workshop yeah with uh, jamie mckittrick who's absolutely lovely <laughs> i'll plug her like um sort of the process of uh intimacy directing and then also how to how do we as actors then incorporate that into our work mm-hmm. and making sure that if there isn't one present, how we can communicate as such yeah. our boundaries and how to do that safely. Mm-hmm. Well, in a, in a reality where we've been grappling with uh, the sort of consequences of, well, not consequences, but you know, the, you know, the, the impacts of the Me Too movement and, and sort of this mm-hmm. greater understanding of, you know, especially consent in TV and movie production. You know, mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein was the epitome of non-consent in TV and movie production. Um, you know, the, it's definitely something that uh, it's, it's good to see that at least the next generation uh, is is having that training and uh, those conversations. Now, Russell T. Davis didn't get into a lot of controversy for that particular piece, but he did get into controversy in the UK 
before the release of It's a Sin because he said that he would only cast gay men in gay roles mm. or queer actors in queer roles. Uh, he was on the one show with Andrew Marr and uh, on the BBC sort of primetime news show. And they, you know, the question was asked, you know, is that fair to only cast gay people in gay roles? <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, so, yeah, well, I put, I put the question to you. <laughs> poor, poor straight actors losing jobs. Oh, no. <laughs> um, em, do you want to begin? We had a we had an episode about this literally like two weeks ago in our podcast. Yeah, well, I just want to say that watching the series, I thought it was very evident that they there were queer people in these roles, that there were queer people a part of this project, mm -hmm. because I also think sometimes there will be media that I will consume where it's telling like a gay story, but then I'm like, oh, this was obviously written by a straight person, <laughs> or like, this is obviously a straight actor. They don't understand the nuanced experience of being queer. Um, so I thought it was very excellent in that way. I thought it was very apparent that, um, and it was made the story so much more accurate than I think. Yeah, and in the sense of it being like, a, I'm only casting gay people in this role. Um, we kind of talk about how like, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, any character is gonna be uh, portrayed a little better by someone who has more direct experience with the topic. So like 99.9% mm -hmm. .9 of the time, uh, in my opinion, a uh, gay person plays a gay person um, better. <laughs> but, but in the same sense, it is, um, this conversation is really interesting because then I think a lot of people um, dive into it so wholeheartedly when sexuality is a spectrum. Yeah, Obviously, it, it is sort of fluid and, you know. Well, and especially It's a Sin is a specific queer story about gay men and gay men or gay people's oppression and like that's a specific thing mm -hmm. there's other queer there's other stories with like queer characters where like you know they're maybe experimenting or they're gay but they're also like but that's not what the plot focuses on yeah mm -hmm. and and I mean in the same sense I have seen a straight person a straight actor portray a queer role in a way that was not only not offensive to me personally, but also that I very much so enjoyed. Um, I say that also on the grounds of like, you know, just objectively, you know, people can act, that's well, a thing. Your comments sort of echo what uh, Russell D. Davis told McGovern, Steve Staff McGovern, you know, and he essentially said, it's not equal, you know, it's not right. a, a seesaw that swings in both ways. Right. You know, he essentially said, you know, there's a hundred straight parts and a hundred gay actors, and then maybe two or three gay parts and only two or three gay actors. You know, they're always going to be drowned out in the in the audition room by straight actors trying to get that that those limited queer roles. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so I mean I think that's it's interesting because looking away from it's a sin for a moment and talking about um, another huge thing that's coming up uh, soon with Colin Firth and uh, Stanley Tucci supernova which is a film about uh, a gay couple where one of the characters has uh, early onset dementia and it's really a, it's a it's a love story about dealing with dementia but they're both gay now Stanley Tucci and uh, Colin Firth have both played um, queer roles in the past. I think Colin Firth was in A Modern Man um, yeah. and uh, Colin, um, 
Stanley Tucci's been in dozens of films as a gay character. I mean, these straight actors, both of them independently said that it was a difficult decision or it's a, a challenging thing to, to consider and think about. Um, do you have much patience for straight actors who uh, face this difficult decision? I mean, I guess I'm happy that they're at least considering it, like, and acknowledging that it is a difficult decision, because then there's also some straight actors who are like, well, I'm an actor, I don't see why it makes any difference at all, like, I can just play whatever I want, this shouldn't be a conversation. So at least there's that. Right, but um, I think it, uh, I just don't believe it's very black and white. So I agree with mm. you in the sense that there is, like, a, I'm glad that these straight actors would be considering it as such. I mean, even if I were to play a role in It's a Sin, I was not alive during that time, nor do I have any similar experience to uh, gay men that grew up during the AIDS epidemic or came of age then. And um, I think as with any straight actor that would play a role both in like a, a scenario where the plot is this heavy and a scenario otherwise, um, that might be lighter, it's necessary to, you know, take the steps to play the character in a both truthful, honest way that, you know, isn't caricatured, that is good for representation of these communities. Because mm -hmm. it, it really isn't um, very black and white of like, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Because there's also queer artists who write um, film, TV, theater, who make these pieces and, you know, they cast a straight person, but if they wrote and directed it and they're like, opposite other queer people I think about happiest season right which was a, we've talked a, about that on our podcast so lot. many times um, yeah <laughs> but um the one one of the uh, lesbian characters is played by a straight woman but if mm -hmm. you know the queer person who, who made this it. story about her experiences like Decide, wants it as such yeah like should we then criticize her decision to cast this person yeah I don't know I guess that's it's, all to say that I think it is it is complicated. Yeah, especially because I agree with the point of like the main point when I get weird about it is because of what you said, how like straight people might get seen for queer roles, but very rarely do queer people actually get seen for straight roles then in mm. turn. So then mm. in, like in the necessity of like queer actors having like a job that they could get, mm -hmm. still not getting it, and then just still being back to square one. And that goes more so for like, again, less about, I guess it's sort of still about sexuality, but then about like conventionality. Yeah, presentation. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I consider myself like a visibly queer person. Like I think I walk into a room and people are like, probably a lesbian, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, so then I realized that then I, as an actor, like that's gonna affect my casting, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, 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 all of that. I think there's definitely a conversation to be had about passing privilege for those who yes. are very clearly uh, um, uh, gay. It's interesting. The example you gave up, uh, gave me, reminded me of Stephen Fry, who actually plays a role in It's a Sin. He's a British actor. Um, he actually critiqued Ryan Murphy for having cast James Corden in right. uh, in uh, prom. Now, James mm. Corden's representation of uh, a gay man has been quite widely just panned 
by LGBT critics, uh, myself among them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, I thought the 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 sort of overly effeminate portrayal he played, the sort of unless I actually put my finger on it in an interview I did on Friday, where I was trying to explain why I found it offensive and why a queer person would understand why it's offensive. And uh, Sebastian, me and you have talked about baby gay. Oh, yes. Which is when somebody is like first gay, they are so excited about being gay and, and sort of finding their feet and exploring who they are. They are Rainbow like, explosion. They, they are yeah. Yeah. farting We've glitter. Yeah. yeah. And that's it's a universal queer experience. It's about busting open the rainbow door. And well, that's actually, what I think Corden's performance was. He was giving me full on baby gay oh, the whole time. Interesting. And I'm like, it doesn't I would, sit. I would actually push back that it's a universal experience. And for the same reason that I actually think Colin Firth was a good casting for the movie he was in, because not every gay man. Well, not every queer person goes through that, but like in this context, we are talking about gay men. Some gay men who live in the closet or who live very private lives, they never go into the community. So getting a gay man who understands the gay culture, they would actually be the wrong person to cast for that role because they would be bringing something to that role that you're trying to hide. Mm -hmm. So getting a, a straight man who just understands intimacy in general and who does not understand the gay community. But I mean, actually... In the end, like it, it is a million shades of gray, and I, I've been going back and forth on this for a while. But in the end, I'm going to have to agree with this. Has come up a few times already is just access to labor. That it, it, if you're talking about how few jobs there are out there, how hard it is to get hired, how common it is for actors to come out and then their career just dies instantly, mm-hmm. um, the access to the job market I think makes it worthwhile. And there there will be exceptions where like. You don't want someone who gets it. You want someone who does not get it. You know, like the um, uh, one of my favorite gay characters on TV because he was such a horrible person. Uh, where uh, was uh, I can't remember his name on uh, Trailer Park Boys. The guy who never wore a shirt and always had a rum and coke in his hand. Literally, always had a rum and coke in his hand. No, but anyway, no word for it. He was a garbage human being, and you don't want him accurately depicted as a gay man, not because he's a garbage human being, but because he was fundamentally just trailer trash. And his portrayal as such relied more on the trailer trash aspect than on the gay aspect. And I think the actor is straight. And I think like you can find these fringe cases where it's like, okay, you you want that person who doesn't get it and that's what makes the role, you know? Uh, but broadly speaking, especially if you're talking about something that does take place in the community, in the scene, in the culture, especially if it's relevant to a period in history, you are going to want somebody who has mm-hmm. been exposed to things, right? Mm-hmm. So it, if you want someone who just like plays uh, a sloppy trucker lesbian who doesn't understand mm-hmm. women, then you could get a straight woman to play that fantastically, right? Get Getting an actual lesbian who understands lesbians in that role might be harmful to it. So, I mean, it's kind of complicated, but I would still rather see a lesbian in that role just because of access to labor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one of those, like all things being equal, I would rather see a queer person because it's hard for them to find work. Mm -hmm. So ultimately that's where I land just because of sort of, you know, labor rights issues. yeah. Even though I, I do understand when some actors say a good actor could play any role, it's not always about your ability. It's about 
like the 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 fairness of things Mm -hmm. right and again that's where i am with like i like for me it is that sort of like access to labor and that sort of thing and because I, again, have seen straight people play queer characters well, but maybe that's not the point of whether yeah. it'll be good or bad. Even though I hold my statement that 99.9% of the time, it'll be better that way. And then also yeah. touching on the topic of um, queer characters that are less than ideal, I, well, I'll say for one, like, you know, if someone's like much more comfortable with their sexuality now and is understanding, I think they could go back and play something a little more problematic but then again that's a conversation of like should we have these problematic gay characters because i agree with you i don't think that that person needs to be a queer person specifically there's like again there's like um i mean even in it's a sin which this is like i'm glad this character is there actually um because it's he's more of a predatorial older man and that's all i'll say about it but just like I didn't care if that guy was actually gay. <laughs> um, also, because like again, sexuality is fluid, and I know mm-hmm. there's a lot of older men that have these homoerotic fantasies, whatever. That identify as straight. That identify right? as straight. Like, it's, it's a long thing. That's why it's yeah. not black and white. But uh, oh, I was gonna say that also. I think it it's important to not just to have like these gay people playing these roles because to bring authenticity to the role, but also to provide role models for younger gay people too. Mm. I think about yeah. that, that, you know, maybe I watch this movie that has this awesome lesbian character and I totally identify with it, but then I find out that the actor is straight and then it's like, oh man, like this Les- was somebody that I wanted to look up to right. versus if they are a lesbian, I can be like, oh my God, I see myself in this like actual person that I can like follow their career and feel seen. Yeah. I think that's super important too. I yeah. think it's it's interesting because I wonder if it's also a bit of a generational thing. You know, one of the things that's come up most is that uh, the Zoomers, they they really focus on authenticity you know is is there a uh, an experience behind that is it is it real um which is kind of ironic with acting but you know <laughs> the idea of being you know and i think that we're, we're that's sort of the issue we're sort of skirting around the ability to speak to or draw from uh you know real experiences um neil patrick harris was saying that when he was filming it's a sin the fact that everyone in the room was gay made it that much more comfortable a space, yeah. you know? And I think that there is definitely, you know, I think queer stories that are predominantly queer should be queer rooms, you know what I mean? Um, and I think in, in situations like that, it's it's hands down. But like the uh, actor behind Love, Simon, not Love, <laughs> Simon. We talked about Love, that. Victor, uh, oh. who is a, a, a young straight actor who's 22, uh, didn't seem to see the same issue you know it was like oh i can you know act my way into being gay um i don't know it's definitely an issue that is dividing the public um yeah and and i imagine it's dividing actors too yeah some people then like take it in turn of like um because like being gay is an experience being bisexual is an experience being asexual is an experience Mm -hmm. um and i hold my ground on like sexuality is fluid and these experiences are specific and i again if i were to play a queer person um especially in a period piece such as it's a sin it's important that i even know my history and do it a justice Mm -hmm. 
um, that way. Because then there's some people that are kind of, um, I've heard both queer and straight actors kind of say this, that it's like a slippery slope. Um, that almost like, because like us as queer performers already have like, you know, a hard time with roles in general, then this is gonna like pigeonhole us into only playing oh, queer right. roles. Mm. Um, and I think that's a matter of opinion. Cause for, cause again, also in my humble opinion, yes, I'm biased. Yes, I'm a queer actor. But also in most of the media I've seen um, where it, it is, you know, heteronormative stories over and over and over again, I'd like to think a queer person playing a straight person could give it a different nuance and a different um, understanding um, from the lens of someone that didn't experience, you know, some problematic parts of society that might be being portrayed as such. And mm -hmm. so like, um, I think it's a matter, I really think it's a matter of opinion and even generationally uh, to this, to some people, this conversation feels like such like a useless microaggression that we don't need to worry about, you know? Mm -hmm. Cause um, some people are just grateful to be alive today. Some queer <laughs> right. people, you know? Right. And um, I have, so much privilege to even just be talking about it so heavily yeah no, that's like, because there's nothing heavier on my head to even be worried about mm -hmm. technically yeah bigger right. fish to fry i think is the right. the the end right. of this um it, it's a bit frustrating because uh i feel like there's not a month that goes by that somebody who has or is or will be playing a, a gay role is ask this question is like one of the most common queer media questions that come up. I mean, I don't know if you, but you, Sebastian, but I feel like this comes up every Tuesday almost. Uh, the, the, yeah, the, two or the three question. times a year. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. and so says they should. So and so says they shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and I think at the end of the way, the, the takeaway is that there's there's very good reasons on both sides. Um, I'm more on the side of I think queer roles should be touched, you know, hold the authenticity of queer experience. Um, Something I find interesting and different this time is that it was Russell T. Davies leading the conversation. The fact that the, he's kind of ambiguous. He is the director and the producer and the writer, but he's also kind of none of those things because he's too busy to do it all. So he, he dips his toes into many pools, but it, it's when you get the producer having this conversation, that's when things change. Because actors have been talking about this since, like, what, the 90s? Right. And the moment you get casting directors and producers and directors and sometimes people care about the screenwriter, and I think it's tragic that we don't – like, why are we interviewing the cast of any movie and not the screenwriter? But anyway, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's when – like, the fact that Russell T. Davies is the one who's coming forward saying, like, this is a conversation that's important, I feel like that's a game changer. Because I mean, just now a quick, uh, quick history lesson for, for Nate and Amher. Russell T. Davis is an unbelievable pioneer. He created Queer as Folk in the UK, oh, yes. the original oh, yeah. to oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. the American version. And he also brought in John Barrowman as um, Captain Jack. Captain, Captain Jack, Jack in, in, yeah. in, um, uh, in Torchwood. Torchwood and Doctor Who, which yeah. really mainstreamed the sort of pansexual character. In, in British television history. So he has been really at the forefront for decades and sort of his impact is globally amplified. He really mm -hmm. is sort of the Ryan Murphy of the UK, I think yeah, is LOL. the best way to, yeah. uh, to compare <laughs> it. Um, and for a Canadian audience, I think it's something like one in, one in five queer roles were created by only five queer creators in, in the US. 
you know, including Ryan Murphy, uh, Lena Waithe and a few others. Um, but yeah, definitely, hopefully we'll continue to see improvements. It's just sad that we see amazing things like Boys in the Band and yeah. this production, which really showcase why and, and the importance of, of queer roles. And then we also get Disney sort of putting its finger in the, the queer pool, but then the lead actor is is straight. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of movies where all the actors are queer. But you also know that I love me some low budget independent. Oh, the, the movies yeah. you right. watch yeah. are atrocious. <laughs> yeah. um, I also think it's interesting too, talking about like who is the audience for the movie because yeah. I think that also affects it. Where when there's these queer projects with the intended audience being queer people, I feel mm. like it's then more likely to have queer actors, a queer mm -hmm. creative team. But then I think there's some projects where it's like, well, most of the audience is gonna be straight. So mm -hmm. we're gonna- Throw James Corden in. Right, <laughs> yeah. like um, that sort of thing. Or even like Love, Simon. I mean, I would say that that's a gay movie for straight people. Yeah. And so it's really like me as a gay person watching it, it was, uh, you know, not as good as like, but I watched it with my parents and they loved it, you know? So like, right. I think that's also affects all of this too. Yeah, and that's like another conversation of then what, like is the story, are we at a place to where these stories should be like, you know, slowly um, adjusting people to queer stories or should it just be like, you know, hard cut print, this is what happened. Um, this is what we're facing right now. This mm -hmm. is our truth. Because um, there are people that uh, just don't like uh, the tragedy of it or the mm -hmm. tragic truth of it and like mm. some people wouldn't even go see a movie if there wasn't like a specific name in it which again right I mean we were just talking about James Corden I was like you already had Andrew Reynolds and Meryl Streep and mm -hmm. um, uh, but Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci in Supernova might be a really good example of that mm -hmm. right yeah and then it's the story because again I just keep going back to the place of like yeah that's a thing and that's a truth but I also like to think there's queer people that like straight people enjoy or, or queer actors that straight <laughs> right. people enjoy. Yeah, because then it kind cause... of becomes like a um, thing of, oh, well, we want this big name actor, you know, and so that's going to bring people in to see the movie. Yeah. Oh, Alan. Um, oh, Alan. What's his name? He played. Uh, he was in the X-Men movies as a. Uh... Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming. Mm. Yes. I well, I was him. I was recently watching Matt Bomber in Sinner on uh, Netflix. Hmm. And I mean, just Matt Balmer. <laughs> There's more need to be said. Period. And unfortunately, we have run out of time on today's show. Um, I can't express my thanks enough to the incredible Nate and M for joining us. Uh, how can folks tune in and, and hear your episode on this topic and the other things that you cover? Yes, um, you can find our podcast, Lesby Gay on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you get your podcast. You can follow our Instagram account at lesbigay. You can follow my personal- Lesbigay podcast. Lesbigay podcast. <laughs> you can follow, <laughs> you can follow our Instagram account at lesbigay podcast. You can also follow my personal Instagram at natejig and you can't follow M because hers is private. That's correct. <laughs> um, otherwise be sure to find us anywhere you get your podcast. We have an episode where we talk exactly about straight actors playing queer roles. And just because we talked about it, we also have an episode about baby gays. So if <laughs> yeah, you want to hear us talk more. <laughs> yes. Yeah, tune in. Amazing. Um, and that's spelled L-E-S for yes, lesbian. Yes, lesbian. Wonderful. Lesbian. Yeah. I, 
I'm yeah, I'm the, I'm the lesbian. And I'm the gay. Yeah. Yeah. The I just want to make sure that folks don't uh, don't uh, lose you on the way. to the song cause I don't wanna stay mad my love for you is strong when we're together everything alright ain't nothing wrong if it's so comfortable being within your presence we're untouchable we just gotta stay patient your smile illuminates a dark void in my soul I'm missing you when you're gone not feeling whole there's a hole in my heart a piece that's missing your in existence clearly got me that I was by your side at this present moment You're my person when I'm with you I feel important
welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Stiluk Smith. Uh, Sebastian hasn't joined us for this particular part of the show, this particular interview, but I am very excited to be uh, joined by our next guest, which is John Power. Thank you so much for, for joining me, the host of the Unmentionable podcast, amongst many other achievements. And uh, of course, the, the, the host of the uh, incredible podcast, very popular Canadian podcast. Shame on you. Uh, John, yep. do you want to quickly introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. I'm a, a writer, a comedian, uh, unapologetic person. I uh, initially kind of came into uh, notoriety was I was the co-host of Shame on You podcast. It was essentially this journey that my best friend and I went on. It was an unapologetic uh, journey to zero gay shame to try to rid ourselves of the residual gay shame we carried and a lot of our mental health issues and how we achieved that was essentially we interviewed a lot of our ex-partners um, uh, and we interviewed a lot of people in the community that you don't traditionally hear from, you know, meth addicts, a gay priest, gay athletes, um, and we just kept it very open and uh, the show was downloaded millions of times and then I parlayed that into a book that I released last summer called Famous Anus. And that was sort of just a memoir of the debauchery of my 20s. And also uh, there was a really serious side to it is just sort of, yes, I was disinhibited sexually and all that and kind of known for that. But it was just also me explaining where I come from as the insecurity of a comedian and sort of a broken person that has comes from complicated family dynamics. You know, what I thought was quite interesting is. I, I felt like your your previous books and your your podcast for me really spoke Toronto. <laughs> you know, I definitely got the sense of the city that it's in from from it. Um, you know, we're based here in Ottawa, but we we've obviously been to Toronto, and I have many friends who have moved there. And I know that every every major city has an LGBT community, uh, some of which are more toxic than others. But I've heard a lot of complaints about the toxicity of the gay community in Toronto. Do you think that a lot of that is bundled up in people sort of with a lot of self-shame and, and sort of uh, maybe well, I think, not uh, communicating well? I think when you get large groups in uh, concentrated areas, you know, it's a dense city. People are close together. They're on edge, stuff like that. It's also a hyper competitive city. I mean, you, a lot of people do come here to to pursue some sort of dream. So very type A people. So type A people are naturally, you know, very competitive. Sometimes they can lack empathy. Um, and so it is what it is in terms of it being a major city. I would say it would mimic most major cities that also are in the same pattern. Um, I do think there's different things mixed in with that, though. I mean, the currency of our show and the value that it brought was two guys, single, downtown, experiencing all aspects of life. Um, if we weren't in Toronto, um, I don't know if the show would have had the same success globally. Mm, absolutely. Now, your previous show, um, Shimon, you definitely inspired a lot of folks to uh, critically look at what the, their own hangups and what's been holding them back. What are some of the key successes you think of your previous podcast? Um, you know, I, well, I think the uh, secret sauce is that we laid bare our soul. We took risks other people didn't take. The way we spoke about our sex lives was there wasn't anything like that out there um, in that format um, for me growing up. That's a, that's why I created that content. That's why I wrote the book. I didn't because I needed that stuff when I was a young gay kid and it wasn't there. I was just some in some heteronormative environment kind of taking pieces of other people's reality. 
Um, so once we sort of did that, we went, um, we were so, you know, we were vulgar. We were just outrageous. We, we interviewed our ex-lovers, our one night stands. And I think a lot of people were inspired by the fact that we went a thousand feet so they could just go one foot and it forced people to just, um, look at how short their life was and how, where they wanted to be. And it was this weird groundswell we got. Um, and so, yeah, we had people come out of the closet. We had a guy leave his wife. We had a guy, a priest leave the church in Mexico. Um, we had all different kinds of stories, people leaving abusive relationships. There was something about our confidence and unapologetic, unapologetic nature that was infectious. I mean, I think that's incredible. I know that uh, the sort of genesis of our own show those, those few years ago was the idea that there was something, there was a gap in the market. There was, uh, there, these voices simply weren't being heard. Do you think that the reason why there was that gap for you is because a lot of this is taboo, that societally it was sort of uh, swept under the rug? I think so. I, I think, you know, what was interesting is we were one of the, we, our podcast was massively successful. It was probably the biggest podcast for gay men at its peak globally. Um, and I think what our secret sauce was is that we brought in straight people because comedy is a great unifier. So we actually made inroads with people that didn't understand us that traditionally wouldn't have empathy for our cause because we were just using that tool of comedy to do that. But with regards to your question of there being a void, absolutely. But I've just never been a victimhood person. And I sort of came to the realization that if no one else will create it for me, I need to create it for myself. And in that vein, I'm, I'm thankful for the people that took those risks for me, like a Harvey Milk type that opened a door for me. And so there was something really beautiful about that, that when I released my book, I'm like, this is something I've left even after I die for other generations. Well, I think that transitions, nice, transitions nicely to your latest podcast, the Unmentionable Podcast, which I think really seems to expand on this theme of raising the voices of those who people don't hear from, the stories that often go untold. Um, what was the inspiration behind your Unmentionable Podcast? And what are you most looking forward to in terms of the guests you have lined up? So I will always be an anti mainstream kind of guy. Um, I think just growing up, I mean, you know, you're naturally subversive being a gay person, but I've just always been on the outs. I'm a atheist, which is rare. I'm an entrepreneur, which is rare. I'm a very free thinker, independent thinker. I don't have really political affiliations, which is rare. Um, so I've just kind of always been on the outs. I've always kind of been that person that didn't necessarily fit in. Obviously, a portion of that was being a gay person. But I liked having I like talking to people who are interesting, whether that's a homeless man who we're, we're trying to get on the podcast or whether that's a gay man who does or sorry, a straight man that does gay porn. I just have people on the show you don't traditionally hear from. And I think by doing that, I illuminate how often the mainstream media ignores certain people. They like polished people. They like people that stay within a box. And I don't enjoy those types of people. And I've never gravitated towards them. I mean, I think you're definitely onto something that, you know, we work with, with radio stations and often uh, the interviews go to the ones that are best at interviewing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Those who, who are able to stick to a script or are clear and concise and quick. Um, yeah, so I can definitely see why the media tends towards certain people to be the spokesperson and the voices that are heard. You know, what I think is really quite interesting about both of your podcasts, the, the previous one and this current one, is how you've essentially queered podcasting. 
Um, and I use that in sort of the academic sense of looking at who has been othered, who is outside of the norm, and sort of bringing those to the light. Do you, do you does my sort of quick analysis yeah, make yeah. sense? Yeah, and it's not coming from a place of virtue signal. It's coming from a place of genuine curiosity. I'm just interested in interesting people from all kinds of life, class, race, sexuality. It's just been always my thing. The only thing I said to my producer when we're booking people to come on our show is I don't care who they are. I don't care what they think. I, th I hope that they're interesting. And, you know, you see independent media taking over now. You see mainstream media channels dying. And I'm I'm poised to do really well with the show because you look at people like a Joe Rogan. It's two people in a room getting stoned, doing 20 million views. You look at CNN, Fox, their top shows are doing two. Mm -hmm. People want I mean, real. I think it's interesting because there was a study that came out just this past week from the uh, the On The Dial report, which found that FM and AM had, had slightly dipped in the US in terms of it's being installed in new cars and podcast listening, you know, has continued to rise. Uh, sort of year on year, you know, do you think that people are tuning to podcasts to hear these sort of voices instead of the the cookie cutter mainstream echoes that we get in a lot of commercial radio? Yeah. And I think that's also, you know, I think there's a lot of elites that are uncomfortable with what the internet has done. And the internet has unmasked a lot of things that were traditionally hidden about how certain people behave. And I think that's what's interesting now is, you know, you hear a lot about conspiracy theories and I talk about them on my show because I'm someone who is interested in that. Now, I'll be clear, the vast majority of conspiracy theories are very stupid. But if you look into things that used to be considered conspiracy theories, which are now incontrovertible, things like the CIA selling drugs, things like America arming other countries, things like the U.S. spying on their citizens. I mean, once that happens, your entire belief system starts to dismantle. And you're left with a lot of confusion. So I do think podcasts, in a way, fill that void of curiosity. Absolutely. Well, well, where can folks tune in to catch the Unmentionable podcast? Every Friday on All Players. And we're also uh, have our show on YouTube every week. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for joining us. Don't forget, listeners can check out the Unmentionable podcast. I would suggest doing it. It's very much in line with... Uh, what the, the mission of community radio is, which is bringing those voices you don't hear. Um, I'm quite excited because you, you during, you know, in the break before we, we jumped into the interview, you're telling me some of the folks they have lined up and uh, I know I'll be subscribing. So thank you again, Jordan. We will be back just after this. Hello and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media that was Better With You featuring Asiva by Shana Sitinak, which includes, uh, it was rap in Anuktukt, which I thought was fantastic. So the big news story that we can't miss this week came out of the UK. Now, one of the largest pride organizations in the world, London Pride, has been rocked by scandal this week. So one oh, of the no. One of the news sources that we follow, uh, the Diva magazine, actually pulled their support and sponsorship of London Pride after the, at the time, most senior Black member of Pride staff uh, walked away and resigned, accusing senior management and the board of bullying and racism. The entire mm. 20 volunteer advisory community board or community advisory board they all quit within a few days after that. And Pride London started to hemorrhage support. 
just a day, the day of recording, we have learned that the co-chairs and a few other members of uh, Senior Pride London Management uh, have stepped down from Pride hmm. London. So it is a huge uh, um, sort of roller coaster of a ride for this organization. They are one of the largest Pride organizations in the world. Um, and they've actually, there's been calls on the City of London's Mayor's Office to investigate Pride London UK for the allegations of bullying and racism. I hope nobody else quits. And I mm -hmm. tell you why, because it is extremely difficult to like, you know- To recruit? To, to turn the ship from, you know, hitting the rocks when all yeah. the crew have jumped off board. You know what I mean? Like if it's just a shell, um, that literally happened in Italy about six years ago. Everybody a boat hit. Board? Well, yeah, the 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 captain and the 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 whole crew were basically not paying attention, and they ran aground. You didn't hear about that? I didn't. But let's oh, okay. hope that Pride London doesn't run aground. They, you know, weirdly enough, the coronavirus may be a help here <laughs> because there's, <laughs> there's. I say this in all honesty. There's going to be no major Pride festivals this year, which mm. means that they'll have the time to deal with these allegations of bullying and racism. Yeah. Rebuild the trust that they had with the community and their partners. Even well-managed, well-functioning prides, uh, every so often, just for the sake of you know evolution and progress, need to get shaken up every so often. So, I mean, this is, hopefully more people are taking this as an opportunity to explore and redefine themselves, even if they're doing well, because you could do better, that's fine. Nothing wrong with well, that. The allegation was that people would literally just turn a blind eye whenever racism or bullying was raised. Now that you know, most of those people have either quit or been forced out, uh, I imagine things will be taken more seriously now. Right. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interviews today and our quick coverage of the news. We will be back next week. We are playing out with Zender, the MTL by The Brooks. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. You're a Zinder again. My man Zinder. It's pronounced Zinder. Brother Zinder. What's going on? City to city.
never cheat with your motivation. But keep it high, high up in the sky. Don't you worry about the pain, but just keep on pushing through the pain. I where you from. It doesn't matter where you from, no. As long as you get some.